Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, I have really been feeling spoiled for games, spoiled for games. Sometimes there isn't much that you want to play, and you have to kind of dig through your back catalogue, find something to try, maybe try one or two games, bounce on a couple, find something you really want to play that fits your mood. And other times you're just spoiled, um, and I'm spoiled right now. I guess that's a common sentiment at the moment with so many good games coming out. I've been continuing to play Elden Ring. Um, I've been, I think I'm up to about 30 hours now. You can hear my my thoughts on that one in the last episode. I had a good talk about it with Kieran Daly. Um, but I've been continuing to play Elden Ring. Um, I've also been continuing to play Horizon Forbidden West. That was my main game for the, the week of its release. Um, and I put 60-odd hours into it. I think maybe more, 67, something like that. And I've been ready to finish it for almost a week now. Like, the, the final mission is looming. But I've been putting it off and putting it off. Or, or rather, I've been picking up the game and meaning to finish it and to start that mission, but then remembering there is another side quest or another companion quest or some uh, upgrade that I really wanted to get before I finish. So you end up like running around looking for little bits and bobs like an iridescent crab shell so you end up running up and down the beach looking for crabs and shooting them with your bow and arrow to try and find this iridescent shell that you need to upgrade your spike pouch to carry more ammo or something like that so there's just so much to do in horizon um and it's also fun it's also beautiful to look at it's also easy to understand um and so i think that Playing that one alongside Elden Ring has actually been pretty good for me because I like Elden Ring a lot. I've been uh, I've been having fun with it. I've been uh, putting bosses down. I've been leveling up and exploring the world and just constantly discovering things and uh, getting a hang, um, getting a handle on the combat rather. Um, and it, it takes a while with that game and it's pretty punishing and it requires a lot of concentration. And when I sit down to play games at the end of a day, um, often I don't have that much energy left in me for, for deep concentration. Um, and so something like Horizon is pretty frictionless, is a word that comes up a lot when talking about games. But it really is. Um, I'm at the point now where I'm leveled up to the gods, and uh, I've got so many shards that I can afford to buy anything I want. I've got all kinds of machine pieces from my journey um, and there are little blips all over the map for this and that, and um, it's just a very nice activity to just uh, check into Horizon, check in with Aloy, go and talk to people. Um, one of my favorite things that just happened was that there is a, a couple of people called Della and Boomer, and they are two sisters that you meet towards the start of the game who work on experimental weaponry. Um, and I happen to be back in Chainscrape, the town, the Osaram town where I met them and they were gone and their stall had blown up um, and I was like oh shit what happened here and there's a note there saying that um, due to some kind of accident there was a warrant out for the two and they had left um, and then in a whole different part of the map um, way down south in the Vegas area um, I met them and they were there and they said well we heard that this um this merchant route tunnel had been reopened and we had our accident so we thought we would just move on and I actually had cleared that tunnel as part of an earlier mission 
Um, and so it was due to Aloy clearing this trade route that that story had been triggered and that those two really fun characters from early in the game had moved on on a journey around the map. Um, and that felt really good to me. Um, there's been a few different instances of that. There have been a few missions where you meet someone and you think that you're done with them, you think your side quest time is over, but then later in the game um, you'll find them somewhere else and they will have moved on with their life. They'll remember what you did for them and also they will be responding to things that have happened throughout your quest in different parts of the map. So it starts to get a little bit of that feeling like the world is moving around you and that these characters have lives of their own that continue when you're not with them, which is something that can, uh, video games often stumble on. Um, worlds can often feel like they are theme parks built just for you. Um, and I think that it's, it's a sign of a successful open world game if it feels like the world continues when you are not there. That was what was so great about Griftlands, for example. It's a game in which you encounter characters at different parts of their journey in different playthroughs. Same in Signs of the Sojourner. Depending on which route you take, um, at which part of your journey, you'll meet people at different times in their life um, when they're about to go through something. And on another playthrough, you'll meet them later on and you won't really know where they came from. Um, and I love it when games do that. And Horizon Forbidden West has been continuing to surprise me. Um, there has been a debate on Twitter because some Ubisoft and Guerrilla devs tweeted out that, um, I guess if Elden Ring is the greatest rated game, then reviewers mustn't care about UI and UX and quest design. And there's been a, a debate raging online about this. Um, there's some pretty aggressive Elden Ring fans out there who will shoot down um, any mention of Horizon, actually. I've seen people just kind of innocently posting screenshots and having some Elden Ring fans say in, in their comments, uh, why are you even bothering to talk about this game? Um, I mean, that's the minority, but those people are out there, you know. But um, So it's been a fiery debate online about Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West in, in contrast to each other. Um, but I found it very interesting to play them alongside each other, actually. Um, I would say one of the more interesting takes that I read is that there is an East-West divide in terms of game design. And in Western game design, um, there's a lot of the, the things that we're used to, the Ubisoft map markers, the very gentle quests that nudge you down the critical path, um, and very clear, intentional uh, player interface that tells you everything that you can do and makes sure that you don't miss everything. Tells you everything a couple times. It's like it's like it's become a kind of received wisdom that this is how it's done. This is how to keep the player's attention. This is how to, to train the player in what they're doing. And if you get used to that um, and then go into a more esoteric um, or opaque UI that doesn't really seem to care if you get everything and just relies on you to do the work and to investigate what you want to do, to read blocks of text, and to do research online if you have to. Um, Elden Ring is very much in that school of thought. And so putting these two next to each other, is it's been very interesting to me because Forbidden West is just such a joy to play. It's such a, a relaxing time. It's such a good time. 
Um, it's lovely to check in with Aloy. And the, the visuals in that game are just beautiful. There's just this transparent water everywhere. There's leaves in the air or dust in the air, sand blowing around you. It's just a constant mesmerizing wonder to look at it. And nothing that you need to do is much of a mystery in Horizon Forbidden West. There, there are moments of um, feeling like the world is stretching out before you and your map is just covered in fog and all you see is question marks and you're pretty vulnerable at the start of the game. You can't take many hits before you'll die. And so there are moments of feeling vulnerable and uh, very small in a big world and like an explorer with lots of the unknown before you. But soon enough, you can unlock the tall necks and the map starts to open up. You can see where things are. Um, and that's for better and for worse. Like when I check into Horizon Forbidden West, I'm not going to have to mill around. I'm not going to have to get lost and like explore by hugging cliff faces, looking for an opening or a cave um, and feeling unguided. Um, there's always a quest log that I can refer to so I can flick through and see what kind of activity I feel like doing today. Do I feel like just going to shoot crabs and lobsters and um, look for a stalk so that I can get the stalk feather and upgrade my quiver to carry more arrow arrows or spikes or discs or different kinds of ammunition? Really mellow way to spend some time just harvesting resources in this beautiful world? Or do I feel like a story mission? Do I want to progress the story? Or do I feel like a companion quest to deepen my relationship with one of the people that I've met along the way? And it's all very easy. It's very easy to pop on, play 20 minutes, pop off. Um, and it's very easy to, I can play it if I'm tired. If my mind is tired, I can play Horizon and I can come away feeling happy and like I had a good time. It's not the case with Elden Ring. It's hard to understand. Um, I might spend some time in an Elden Ring session googling how to summon someone because I'm against a difficult boss that I haven't got the strategy down for, or I'm not leveled up enough to take on, or I might be uh, underleveled without knowing it because there is no leveling system. Um, and there is no indication of which parts of the map are going to be way too difficult for you. And so you spend a lot of time dying, a lot of time um, being told that you're in the wrong place by being one-shotted by an enemy. And the game will even take you intentionally to places that you are underleveled for, uh, where you can get your ass handed to you by some huge boss that's standing right in front of you. So Elden Ring is difficult to grasp in that way. It's not a comfortable experience. You never feel comfortable in that game. You always feel like you could die at any moment. And so it, re it requires a certain amount of attention. It also requires a certain amount of investigation to learn the, the ins and outs of the UI, um, how to equip, how to upgrade different levels of smithing stones to upgrade your weapons, different levels of lilies to upgrade your spirits, all this kind of thing. It's it's a big old uh, JRPG head full of um, things that you have to remember. Um, if you forget how a certain mechanic works, for example, um, because you've been playing other games and you haven't played it for a couple of days, um, you're probably going to have to Google it or go into the pause menu, go into the instructions. There are no, there are never any button prompts. The game never reminds you of its mechanics. Um, and so you really do have to be on your game 
to play Elden Ring. And when I play games, I'm often not. I'm often not like willing. It's not like I want a, a game that feels like work, if you know what I mean. I w- often want to relax with a game. Um, you can probably tell that from the kind of games that I cover on this podcast. Often short indie games, often uh, discrete walking simulator experiences or um, lightweight games or um, art experiences as games, all of those kinds of things. And I often focus on um, nice uh, color schemes and soft music and the kind of things that you'll you'll hear in this show week in, week out. And I do cover a range of games, of course, but I think that there has never been a game I've played that is as far from that as Elden Ring. It is uh, a grueling challenge and an ongoing challenge. And and while it is a huge amount of fun, and I've had a great time with it, over the last few days, I just didn't feel like engaging with that difficult UI and that difficulty curve. And so I went back to Horizon. I found it to be like um, like a hot bath after a long hike. <laughs> and so I've been really enjoying Horizon this weekend. Um, um, and I think that after I get off this uh, this podcast, I might go and carry out that final mission. I'm at the meeting point now to kick off that no way back final mission. Um, So maybe it's time. But it's been very interesting to compare and contrast Elden Ring against Forbidden West. Um, It's really interesting, um, the debate that is raging around it. Um, I've enjoyed watching it unfold online. Um, It does get a bit fiery sometimes and people need to chill out, basically. Talking about game design doesn't have to turn into like a a duel to the death between an Elden Ring fan and a Horizon fan. And I think that when those Ubisoft devs and those guerrilla devs were critiquing Elden Ring, um, they were doing so because they've worked so hard to make their games accessible. And then along comes a game that seems to throw out the rule book and is very inaccessible and very difficult, um, either intentionally or because of under-tutorialization, it's hard to get your head around this game. And to see that game getting 10, I can imagine that would be galling for someone who does user experience uh, work for a living. So I can understand like a little salty comment coming out. Um, it must be very interesting for people who make their games, who work very hard to make their games accessible um, and easy to understand and easy to play and easy to pick up for a game that is so resolutely inaccessible to scoop so much critical acclaim and to be such a smash hit. But yeah, the debate continues. And I think I will be talking about both of those games in the future. After I finish Forbidden West, I may well do a spoiler cast. After I finish Elden Ring, if, if I ever finish Elden Ring, I think that that is by no means a given. Some of the tales of woe that I'm seeing in my timeline as players reach the late game bosses are kind of sad, actually. I'm not sure if I ever will finish that one, but I will definitely be talking about it again. So you can expect to hear more about those games in the future. Um, I've also been playing a couple of indie games. I've been playing a little bit of Tunic. Um, It's a a Zelda-like, isometric, um, cuddly-looking, sort of hack-and-slash, action-adventure RPG style of thing. You play as a fox. Everything looks very soft and fluffy in the graphics. Um, you, you may have seen it. It's been doing the rounds. Um, it is under embargo um, until next Wednesday. I'm playing a review copy on Mac. So I'll go into more detail about that one in the future. Um, I've also been playing Far Rising Tides, a game that I was really looking forward to as a fan of Far Lone Sales. Um, I've gotten through about an hour of it, and 
um, whilst I love the game world, I've actually been struggling a little bit with the puzzles. I don't know if it's um, harder than the last game. The, the first game was, was pretty mellow, um, both in the, the mechanics and the puzzles. This one has had more complex puzzles right off the bat. And the logic of them hasn't been sitting well with me. I've been sitting frowning at these puzzles. Um, and then when I get the solution, I, I don't feel happy. I feel kind of annoyed um, that the logic seems like a little bit of a leap to me, or it seems like more like um, tripwires that have been laid out to stop your progress um, than enjoyable puzzles that are there for you to work through and move on. Um, so I haven't enjoyed that one as much as I would have hoped to, but as I say, it's been it's been a, a long week and I've been very tired, and so I think perhaps I've not been 100% on my game uh, for games in general from the sounds of things, right? Like I'm finding everything pretty hard um, when I'm playing games and I'm, I'm struggling with puzzles and just struggling to keep my eyes open. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to do a long episode today, um, but I am going to talk about the itch bundle for the Ukraine. This is a bundle, a charity bundle that is being run by itch.io. It is a collection of 997, I believe it is now, different games. Um, you can get it for $10 on itch.io. And all of the money goes to charities that will support Ukrainian children and Ukrainian refugees that have been displaced by the, uh, the horrible invasion that is going on over there right now. So I thought that I would use this opportunity um, in episode 99 of the podcast, um, which does actually make it officially the 100th episode today seeing as the first episode was episode zero. But I've decided that next week will be episode 100 and that I'd rather set a convention to celebrate um, episode 100 and episode 200 than episode 99 and episode 199, which would be the 100th and 200th episodes. So next week will be the episode 100 celebration. And I thought it would be nice to use this episode just to talk through a few of the games that are available in that itch.io bundle for Ukraine. I encourage everyone to go and pick it up. It's $10 well spent for anyone that is interested in indie games, in artistic games, in independently produced solo projects. It's just a treasure trove of games to try out. Um, even if you just play one game from this 900 plus game package, you will have gotten your money's worth. And there are uh, some really fun things. Uh, there are many games in there that I've covered before. There are a few games that I've dabbled in a little bit. And there are a whole bunch of games that are on my wish list that I've been wanting to play. So I'm going to use this episode to talk through a few of them. Um, and I hope that you enjoy it. Before we do that, I will say this is a Patreon-supported podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild where you can sign up for a dollar a month or three or five um, or whatever your local currency is um, to support this show, to let me know that you enjoy it and you value it. Um, and for that, you'll get extra episodes a couple of times a year. You'll get access to our Discord community to come and chat with me and the other listeners of the show and some friends and other podcasters and just a fun bunch of gamers. It's a, a very calm and pleasant corner of the internet to come and talk about games, share your wordles, share your screenshots, share your recommendations, and maybe pick up recommendations from other people too. So if you'd like to join that community and support the show, it's patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. And with that said, let's move on 
and talk about the itch.io bundle for Ukraine. first game that I have here to talk about from the Itch Bundle for Ukraine is Inglet. And this is a game that I played over the Christmas holidays, and I have fully intended to make a full episode about at some point, and just never got around to it. There were a few games like that, actually, um, that I played over Christmas and never got the chance to talk about. I was racing through quite a lot of games over the holidays, but this was a really, really nice one. Um, it's a game by Niklas Nygren, published by Triple Topping. It's available on, well, you're going to be buying it because you're going to be buying the, uh, the itch bundle for Ukraine. So you don't really need to know that it's also on Steam and all those other places because you're going to, you're going to get it as part of your bundle. But it's a, it's a very interesting one. Um, this is a game that is a platformer without platforms. Um, it's a, an interesting design concept. Um, you'll see line-drawn art on the screen, just lines, no shading, no filling. They all look like sketches. It's like looking at a moving design project. It's, it's quite beautiful to look at. And you play as a little bug-like uh, scribble on, on the middle of the screen, and you can propel yourself between these amorphous jellies that seem to just sort of hang in the air. And when you're in a jelly you are safe. You are floating. It's like you are the nucleus of a cell. You are safe. You are contained. But the second that you propel yourself out of this, this jellyish shape, you will be hurtling through the air um, and you have to make it to the next one in order to be safe again. If you pause in a shape for a couple of seconds, a line will appear around it and it will be a restart point. So you can set your own restart points um, but really, this game is at its best when you are, in a carefree kind of way, sort of stunt driving your way and leaping, making wild leaps and using features to rebound yourself off of hard surfaces um, and little speed-ups that you can get and little fun buffs that you can get to project yourself across the space of the, the level. Um, and it's it's kind of carefree in that way. It's it's really fun in Inglet to to go fast and to not care that much and to just rocket through these levels um, at speed. You feel like an acrobat and a stunt driver. Um, and one of the defining characteristics of this game is that it has a responsive soundtrack. So the music is generated um, in its entirety by what is happening on the screen. So it's not. Um, generally responding in the way that some game music does. For example, in something like Hollow Knight, which I think did this music very well, um, there'll be a mournful cello refrain. And then if you get to somewhere that seems a bit more interesting, other instruments will arrive and it will pick up in intensity. And then if you get into combat, it will pick up again. And then there is a top level two where it really just turns into a big battle song. And that original cello track is still at the base of the music, but it can be built up and ratcheted down. Um, the pressure in it can be raised and lowered depending on how you are doing, and that's how a lot of games do music. But in this game, the music is created 
uh, by what you're doing on the screen. So if you do a rebound, there will be a sound that is part of the music soundscape. It's not like there are effects and music. The effects and music have been merged into one. And as you are pirouetting and leaping and bouncing your way through these these spacious levels, um, finding safe harbor, um, and they get increasingly difficult, the world will be responding to you and it will really feel like the whole world is is singing as you are passing through it. And, and that's a lovely, um, a lovely piece of creativity that this game has to have that soundtrack. Um, there are some really interesting things that you can see on the developer's Twitter, where you can see a visualization of how that music is happening, like when the different things trigger and, and why. Um, and so you are almost composing as you go. Um, I think it would be easy to not notice that much. You might notice that the sounds are more responsive than usual. But when you really do have a look at what's going on under, under the hood, it, it gives another level of appreciation for uh, for Inglet and for the the creative endeavor that was put into this game and for the vision behind it. So that was the first one I wanted to talk about. I'm going to try and rattle through these pretty quickly. But Inglet is a really interesting game. It also has an overworld for some reason, which is seems to be based on Copenhagen, I think. Like I remember that there was a Norrebro area and I've been there when I was in Copenhagen. I was like, hey, hold on a second. This map that is unfolding this kind of pencil-drawn, scribbly overworld map is, is for some reason, looks like the, Co the Copenhagen public transport system. Um, so I don't know exactly what is happening in this game. I don't know exactly why it is how it is, but it's a beautifully designed, very visually enjoyable game with this fantastic generative music system and some really fun, tricky platform action that allows for improvisation and speed as you get across these obstacle courses. And so I would really recommend it. I think that this game alone would be worth the $10 for that itch bundle. This is this is a really enjoyable indie game, and it feels like an indie game in the true sense of the word, made by just a couple of people, um, and really well put together. And it has that, that indie sensibility. It's short, you can finish it in one or two hours, but it has a lot of replayability. If you really get into it, you can, uh, you can do different types of run through the levels and you can try and find different secrets and unlock different things. So whilst it's a very short game to finish, um, you could get more out of it if you really enjoy it. That's Inglet. The next game that I've got here on my list is Wandersong. This is a game that I've played a little bit of. Um, it's another indie game. It's another very colorful, very joyful game. In this one, there is a twin stick element to it. You play a young bard, a young singer, who is uh, an optimist, who prances through the world with a sense of hope and with a sense of positivity, no matter how uh, difficult the odds are or no matter what situation they are facing. You play. It's a really fun character that you play, with a little Robin Hood hat and a smile on their face. And you use the left stick to move through the world. It's side-scrolling with some light platforming, and as you move through the world, you'll meet people who are having different kinds of problems. And all of the problems in this world can be solved by singing. And if you use the right-hand stick, you can uh, match notes. It looks a little bit like a, like a Trivial Pursuit pie, you know? So if you push up and right, you'll get a note. If you push down and right, you'll get a different note. Um, it's colour-coded. 
Um, and so it's really nice and easy to use uh, singing mechanic and your character will sing on screen. Sometimes you have to match the notes that someone else is singing or sometimes you have to sing a, a certain sequence of notes to make something happen on screen. Um, there is some light combat in it, which is also carried out by singing. Um, and this is a very silly game. It's a very joyful game. Um, I had a lot of fun playing this one. Um, I keep meaning to go back to it. I played it at a time when I had a couple big games going on, and it was my before bed Switch game. And maybe it would be a good game for me to play now, because there is no real, uh, nothing really stopping you in this game. It's, it's pretty light, it's pretty fun and amusing. I really enjoyed what I've played of it so far, and I fully intend to play more of it. In fact, I think I will tonight. Maybe the final mission of Horizon isn't for when you're almost falling asleep. Maybe I should uh, save that one a little, a little more later. So I think I might play a little bit of Wonder Song tonight. It's a really good addition to this bundle. And it's, a, it's a really cute game. If you have enjoyed Chicory, if you have enjoyed A Short Hike, um, then this is a game that I think you will get a lot out of. It's, it's just lovely. And speaking of A Short Hike, um, that lovely indie game, that, that classic indie game that I've spoken about several times before on that show is in this bundle too. It's a mini open world in which you play Claire, a bird who has gone to a holiday island to stay with her aunt whilst some difficult family stuff goes on back home. And Claire wants to phone her mum to check up on her, wakes up one day, realises with horror that she has no phone signal. And so Claire has to strike out on Hawk Peak Provincial Island to try and find phone signal to check in on her mom and make sure everything's okay. And Claire is like sad. Claire's going through a lot. Claire's quite sarcastic. If you've played Night in the Woods, you'll know the kind of humor that a short hike has. It is a solo developer project made by um, Adam Robinson Yu. It won the Seamus McNally Grand Prize, which is usually a sign of a pretty good game. Um, and it's, it's colourful, it's beautiful, it's relaxed, it's got a fantastic soundtrack by Mark Sparling. As you are exploring the island, you will find golden feathers that allow you to flap to climb higher. Um, it's, it's isometric, crunchy, pixel-looking kind of thing, but you can turn the pixels up and down, so it can be a low-poly game if you want it to be. You can turn the pixels up. I had it somewhere in the middle. Um, the way that the uh, pixels are set at the start of the game was a little too crunchy for me and a little hard on the eye, so I turned it down a little bit. But you meet all kinds of people on your journey. You meet some people that are playing beach stick ball, which is a fun sports game that you can play a little bit of. You just have to hit a beach ball with a stick across a net. You can meet some people that are trying to start a climbing society who will try and teach you how to climb and who you'll encounter as you scale Hawk Peak. You'll meet an artist who is running around the island, painting in different places, trying to find inspiration. And they all talk about their creative insecurities and how they're trying to make work that will be appreciated in their big solo show. And so there are just all of these lovely little conversations that you have um, on your way around Hawk Peak Island. When I think back on Short Hike, I think of it as a game that has such a sense of place. It's like being on a summer holiday, honestly. It has this atmosphere of carefree, um, warm, summer holiday vibes where you feel like uh, the day is just laid out before you and you can just go and do anything that you want. Um, and it has that feeling. It manages to bring that feeling into a video game. I heavily recommend this one. If you haven't played it, you're missing out on one of the all-time indie greats. That's a short hike.
The next game that I have here is less of a feel-good game, but it's still a really relaxing play. This is a game that sneaked in to my top 10 games of the year list last year. Kind of surprised me how much I liked it in the end because it's such a slight game. It's called Cloud Gardens. It has a soundtrack by Amos Ruddy that you can hear now. And this is a game in which you kind of, it's a kind of like a puzzle game, but not really. It's too relaxing and carefree in how it plays to really be considered a puzzle game. It has puzzle gamey mechanics. Um, in this game, you look at a screen that is like a, a pastel pink or blue or green or yellow um, with a smoggy sort of look to it. And in the middle of the screen is a little uh, voxel diorama that you can rotate. You can look at, the, look at it top down, you can look at it bottom up. And on that diorama, you'll see structures like road signs or shopping carts. These little tableaus of kind of post-human life, I would say. This game is a post-human landscape. You'll never see people, but you will always see the remains of people. You'll see uh, infrastructure like railway bridges or uh, highway bridges or tower blocks or just yards or... Um, wasteland where you'll see like a deck chair and some bottles of beer and things like that and what you have to do in this game is plant seeds and then you have to water the seeds you have to plant other things near the seeds and every time that you do that they the plants will grow and they will grow over the landscape and then you have to take trash from your inventory like deck chairs like tv aerials like beach balls teddy bears there's a little swirling inventory that appears at the bottom right of the screen. And you can drag and drop those little elements into the game. And when you do that, they make the plants grow too. Uh, your aim in the game is to make the plants grow over everything. Um, and I found this to be just beautiful. It was a very meditative experience, very calm. I could play it for a few hours and not look up. It was almost like being in a trance playing this game. Um, it was largely undemanding. You can run out of seeds um, and have to do a section again, um, but that doesn't really matter. There are also multi-stage levels where you'll start off with a, a tiny piece of road, and then when you finish the first one and cover it with flowers and monstera and creeping vines, the whole thing is overgrown. It will zoom out and you'll realize that was just one part of the puzzle, and then it might zoom out again until you have this huge... Uh, tableau laid out before you and you can see the, the plant choices that you've made you can see all of those trailing vines and flowers and eventually trees and things that you've made um, there's also a creation mode so every time that you play a level you will unlock the elements that were in that level the levels just seem to go on forever i've got many many hours in this game and i have not seen the end of it um, so it's it's a really fun one it's like a sandbox creation puzzle game that isn't really that puzzly, but is about rewilding and just letting plants grow over the wreckage of humanity. I found it slightly melancholic, but in a way that I really liked. Um, and so yeah, Cloud Gardens is in this bundle and I highly recommend it. There are so many games in this bundle, honestly. There are several games that I have talked about on the show before. 
Um, Speed Dating for Ghosts is in this bundle. It's a really light-hearted dating game where you can talk to people, make conversational choices, and the dates can go well or badly. Um, you can meet all kinds of different ghosts that have different stories. That was a really enjoyable one. I covered it in a Halloween episode. It's only a couple of hours long. It's a uh, visual novel style game about dating ghosts. Really, really fun. Perfect for this kind of bundle. Um, Old Man's Journey is in here. Oh, I don't know if that picked up on the mic, but that was um, that was me getting a text message with the, the Zelda sound. The Zelda chest sound is my ringtone. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> I was saying Old Man's Journey. Old Man's Journey is in the bundle. Um, that's a, a great game where you just uh, walk across a landscape as an old man um, heading out for a walk with a, a goal in mind that he has to get to. It's it's a puzzle game in that you have to navigate landscapes um, by moving things around, by pulling perspective. It was very enjoyable. It's like a children's storybook, very beautifully observed. Um, very nicely put together, very aesthetic, short experience. Um, there are a few games in here that I've played a little more of. I've played some of Celeste, that classic, very, very difficult platform game. Everyone loves it. I love it too. I can see why people love it, but I could not play it. I was just too bad. I wasn't good enough to play Celeste. And so I never got to the top of the mountain. Um, but I, I really recommend it, it's especially if you love tricky platformers, if you love the... Uh, the kind of platforming where you have to do like a 10 move sequence to hang on to something, jump, double jump, hang on to something else, jump off it before it falls down, land on something at the right time, and then dash and then jump upwards and cling onto a wall. Um, and if you get any of those moves wrong, you'll die and you'll have to start again. Um, from screen to screen, each screen is a devious puzzle. Um, it's really enjoyable. It's got beautiful music. It's got... Um, a lovely look to it and a nice story about overcoming your your demons. Um, I wish I could have played more of Celeste, but it was just too hard for me. Um, that's in here too. Art School is in here, School with a Q. That's a very silly game where you have to run around uh, drawing things in order to progress. It's, it's a, like a little experiment of a game, really. It's very, very silly. Um, and there are also some experimental games in here, things that I've been wanting to try um, and haven't gotten around to yet, such as Kids. It's like an illustrated half-hour experience where you have to hide in a crowd and work with crowds. It's just these black uh, sort of stick figures drawn onto white canvas. Um, Baba Is You is here. That's a game that's been recommended to me in the show's Discord that I haven't gotten around to yet. The puzzle game where you have to use logic um, to change things. For example, if there is like a hair, a ruler, and a scissor, you can say hair is ruler and then use the ruler as a bridge or something like that and you have to kind of use these logics of changing what things are and what they do um i've never actually played it but i've had it explained to me by people that want me to play it so that's one of the games in this bundle that i'm really curious to play actually i also see in here crosscode um, a top-down pixel art game that um, I know that Reagan from Short Game was really into. Um, I've seen some other people enthusing about it here and there on Twitter and in Discord. So I'm really curious to try CrossCode, actually. It's something that I have looked at on Switch. I think it is on my wish list, and now I own it because it was in this bundle for Ukraine. Um, I also see in here Minute. Um, I see Quadrilateral Cowboy. I see Sundered. I see Super Hot. Like, there are lots of games in here that, that are very highly rated. Um, it's, it's just 
such a mass of games. Um, there are also things that I hadn't heard of, and there are a few articles out there about how to navigate this bundle and trying to surface some of the games that you might not find if you were just flicking through there. Um, so I've got a little list here. I've got a list of The White Door, Midnight Scenes, and Super Hexagon. Uh, or three games that I had never really heard of before. I'd heard of Super Hexagon, but not the other two. Um, so there are games in here that are indie experiments by some really outstanding creative developers that are very well known for their, for their creative spirit. And I'm really looking forward to digging into some of those. I'm going to put some links to those um, articles that I talked about to help people navigate the Itch Bundle for Ukraine, um, to find games that they might not have heard of before, and to get recommendations, because it is such an overwhelming amount of games. Um, so I'll put those in the show notes. Um, and I really do implore you to go out and buy this bundle. It's at itch.io. It's $10. It's so far raised almost $5 million for Ukraine, uh, which is just incredible. It's really great to see gamers doing their part uh, when there is an international crisis, a humanitarian crisis going on. Um, it's great that gamers can um, come together and try and make a difference, you know. It, it um, fills me with hope. It's a hobby that we all love, but it's it's entertainment and it passes time. But there is also a wonderful community around gaming too. Um, and when you activate gamers, things things good things can happen, you know. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing just how many um, dollars this bundle raises for the Ukrainian charities by the time it runs out. I think it's running five more days. Um, I'm also doing a contest to win this bundle, just to try and give some uh, more exposure to it. So I've pinned something to my Twitter. It's retweet to win, and I'm going to give three of them away. Um, if you're on Twitter, please do go to Gaming in the Wild and retweet, even if you don't want to win them, just to try and get the word around as far as possible. People love a good retweet competition, you know? There are certain people that will just retweet all day trying to win stuff. Um, and so if Twitter can be used as a vehicle to spread awareness for something like this, then that's great. So thanks to everyone that retweets that as well. Uh, it's pinned to my Twitter profile at Gaming in the Wild. So that's this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Elden Ring. hope you enjoyed about hearing about Horizon Forbidden West and the Itch Bundle for Ukraine, all of those different games that are in there. I would also like to say thank you to my newest patron, Travis, who has just become a patron as I was doing this show. That's really nice of you. Thanks, Travis. Um, Travis is someone who has been advising me on Twitter about how to navigate the, the intricacies of Elden Ring, the complications of the gameplay, um, as discussed in the intro. So there have been some really nice, helpful people on Twitter helping me to get into the game as a first-time Souls player. So thank you very much to Travis for being a patron, and thank you for all your help on Twitter. Thank you to all of my existing patrons also. I really appreciate all of you, um, and I love coming on to our Discord every day and chatting and hearing what everyone's up to and what everyone's playing. And thank to you for listening. I'll be back next week with a new episode. I'm not sure exactly what it will be about yet. Um, I'm playing Farlone Sales. I'm playing Tunic. I may have uh, finished off Horizon Forbidden West and be ready to do a spoiler cast about that one for people that have played it. And with that, I'll just say, take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now. <laughs>